Hi, and welcome to the Country Hope Church podcast. We're based in regional Queensland with locations in Chinchilla, Gainda, Jandawi, and Meandara. We hope you enjoy this episode and we invite you to join us for a Sunday service. For full details, head to our website, www.countryhope.church. Over the last few weeks, I've been looking at particular passages in the Bible that are kind of weird or hard to understand, and we've been breaking them down. And what we've been doing is showing that we can get lots more out of the Bible as we study it, as we go over it, as we understand it better. And one of our golden rules is, uh, what did the people who first read it, what did they get out of it? What were they thinking when they read it? The passage we're looking at today is particularly like this. It's one where if you understood who the first, what the first readers were thinking when they read it, you can get so much out of this. It's from Matthew 17. We're going to put it up on the screen in just a moment. Matthew 17, 24 to 27. And this is what it says. After Jesus and his disciples arrived at Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duties and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offence, go to the lake, throw your line in, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them... For my tax and for your tax. Now, what does this mean? This is such a weird passage. Uh, I wonder how Peter reacted when he, when Jesus first said, "Go down, grab your fishing line, catch a fish, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin." If you're like me, every fish I've ever caught, I've always opened its mouth to have a look inside, just in case. You never know. It doesn't actually describe Peter doing this. But we can be pretty sure that that's exactly what happened, that he went down to the lake, threw his line in, caught a fish, opened its mouth, and there was a four drachma coin. So what's going on here? When I read a passage like this, I have several questions. Number one, what's the temple tax? I don't understand that. Maybe if I understand that a bit better, the whole story will make sense. Number two is, what's that interplay between Jesus and Peter talking about who has to pay the tax? I don't understand that. Maybe if I understand that a little bit better then I might get more out of this passage. The third thing is about the whole thing about the fish and the the coin in the mouth. Why did Jesus tell Peter to go do that? Like, Jesus can make something appear from midair. Why didn't he just do that trick and make a coin appear and say, go pay our temple tax? Why specifically about the fish? Does that have any significance? Because if I can sort of understand how the original readers read this, then maybe I can get a bit of a deeper meaning out of this. And knowing Matthew, Matthew was Jesus' disciple. He wrote this. He was a really Jewish Jew. And he wrote this book specifically to Jewish people to reinforce Jesus is the Messiah. That's the reason that he wrote Matthew. So maybe that can give us a clue as well. So what's going on here? We're going to break that down into those three sections. Number one, what is the temple tax that they're talking about? Is it significant? What does it it do? The temple tax, as you uh, study it and and read about it, 
It was paid by nearly every Jewish male. And it was actually a rite of passage. When a, a Jewish male turned 13, they then had the privilege of paying the temple tax. And the temple tax was paid specifically for the upkeep of the temple. It's described in Exodus 13. And it became something more than just a tax. It was like when we turn 16 and we can get our learner license. Look at me, I've got my learners now. Uh, I'm officially not a little kid anymore. And so the temple tax was important for Jewish males. It also showed that you were putting your allegiance with the king, with God. I'm paying my temple tax, I'm keeping the, the upkeep on his temple. But there were some exceptions to the temple tax. Some people didn't have to pay it. Priests in the temple didn't have to pay the temple tax. And by the time Jesus came around, some of the rabbis who weren't priests in the temple but were teachers of the law, they sort of said, we should be exempted because we're doing God's work. But priests didn't have to pay. The king of Israel didn't have to pay, nor his children. So King Herod, who was king at this time, and when Jesus was born, and then later kings, they didn't have to pay it. The Messiah didn't have to pay the temple tax. He was obviously the king of kings, so the Messiah specifically didn't have to pay the temple tax. And then there were some Jewish people who didn't pay it and they were considered cut off from God. There were some who chose not to, but they were like the worst of the worst. So the temple tax was paid by good Jewish males, except for priests, except for the king of Israel and except for the Messiah. None of those three had to pay the temple tax. So when the collectors of the tax came to Peter and said, does your rabbi Jesus pay the temple tax? It was a really loaded question. Because if Peter said, no, he doesn't because he's the Messiah, that would have caused all sorts of uproar. But he answered, yes, he does. And then that shows that Jesus is a good Jew, but then cast doubt on something that lots of people have been saying for a little while, we think he might be the Messiah. If he pays temple tax... It must mean he's not the Messiah, because the Messiah doesn't have to pay temple tax. So it was such a loaded question. Interesting that the, the, the uh, tax collectors of the temple tax went to Peter, his disciple, didn't approach Jesus himself. They went to Peter instead and said, does, does your master pay the temple tax? Peter, in his haste, just said yes, without really thinking through it. And so we have what the temple tax is about and why they ask the question. The next question is, what's all this interplay between Jesus and Peter? Uh, this is what happened when they went back to the house. When Peter came back to the house, Jesus was the first to speak. So as soon as they got back to the house, Jesus said to him, what do you think, Peter, Simon, his other name? From whom do kings collect tax or duty? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter said. And so this is Jesus now talking to Peter when they got back to the house saying, you told those people that I pay the temple tax. Should I really? Because I am the son of God. If you go earlier in this chapter and the chapter before, it's where we have Peter's great pronouncement. You are the Messiah, the son of God. He made the great pronouncement. It's earlier in this chapter is when Peter is with Jesus when they hear a voice from heaven this is my son. And so he knew exactly who Jesus was. But when he was asked, does Jesus pay the temple tax? He said, no. Uh, he said, yes, he does. In other words, he was almost, it was like he was almost 
betraying Jesus, saying, I don't really think you are the Messiah. It was sort of that moment, it was almost like Peter's first betrayal of Jesus. And so it was an interesting thing, but Jesus, when he said to, 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 uh, to Peter, should I pay this tax because I'm actually the child of God, Peter would have realised his mistake. No, you shouldn't pay the tax because of who you are and because the king's son, the Messiah, never pays the tax. I wonder how Peter felt when Jesus asked him. Like I said, as soon as I got into the house, Jesus said, should the son of the king pay the tax? Not really. I wonder if Peter felt awful because of the mistake he'd made. But Jesus didn't rub it in. Instead, he said, all right, so as not to cause trouble, I'll pay the tax on behalf of you and me. Now, I find that fascinating. This is Jesus now, who is the Messiah. And it's been declared, and Peter knows it. And he's the Messiah who shouldn't have to pay the temple tax. And Peter's made a mistake telling the temple tax collectors that Jesus will pay it. He should have actually said no because he's the Messiah. But Jesus lets the the mistake go and then says this, so as not to cause any trouble. Now remember that line, so as not to cause any trouble. Because really, that's a big statement that has big implications for us. So as not to cause any trouble, I will pay yours and mine. Now this is huge. The king and the Messiah doesn't have to pay, but he says, I'll pay it anyway, just so that it doesn't cause trouble for people. I'll pay it anyway. This is remarkable. But then we have the whole fish story about going and catching a fish and finding the drachma. Could you just go to the next slide, by the way? This is what the the four drachma coin would have looked like. It would have had uh, the emperor's picture on one side and and the, the Roman insignia on the other. That's actually a four drachma coin, which is what they were talking about when Jesus said, two drachma tax, go catch a fish, you'll find a four drachma coin in it, that'll pay mine and yours. Why the whole fish story? Now, this is really fascinating because about 300 years before Jesus even walked the earth, the Greeks had this legend that there is someone so morally upright that when he goes and catches fish and opens the fish up, every fish that he catches, there's something valuable in it. And it's a sign that the gods are showing him favour and he is unique amongst all people. And obviously it was a legend that grew up and, and everyone wished they were that person. The Romans adopted that legend and made it their own. And so there was, throughout the Roman world, this legend of someone who was so morally upright that whenever he caught fish... Uh, that he would open it up and there would be valuable things in there that would sustain him. And it was a sign that the gods were smiling on him because he was so morally upright. Now, the Jews at this time, they acquired that legend as the Romans had invaded them and that legend became a Jewish thing as well. And it was a Jewish legend that there is someone so morally upright that when he catches a fish, inside the fish will be valuable things that will be a sign that God is smiling on him and he is unique. And so what's happened in this story is we've had Peter asked, should, does Jesus pay the temple tax? He should have said no because he's the Messiah, but he said, yes, he does. Then Jesus says to Peter, should I pay the temple tax seeing as I'm the Messiah? 
Peter realised his mistake. Then Jesus said, don't worry, we won't cause trouble, we'll do it anyway, but I want you to go catch a fish and in the fish you will find the temple tax money. Now Peter immediately would have realised, wow, this is the legend of the upright man who God smiles on and if this actually happens, it's proof that he's the Messiah. It's proof that he is, God is smiling on him. And as Peter grabbed his fishing line and his hooks and his tackle and went down to the lake, he would have been thinking the whole time, if this really happens, the legend is true. And this is amazing because this is just a legend, but if it actually happens, Jesus must be the Messiah. And as he threw his hook out and caught his first fish, he would have been thinking... Will this happen? Will it really happen? Because if it does, it's another proof that he's the Messiah. He would have pulled the fish in, opened its mouth, and there he would have seen proof. This man is so morally upright that he is unique and God is smiling on him. And his hair would have stood up on the back of his neck as he realised, wow, he is the Messiah. This is more proof that he's the Messiah. And so Jesus in this story not only says to Peter, should I pay the temple tax because I'm the Messiah? Well, actually, I'll prove it to you again. Go down to the lake, catch a fish, and in it you will find the temple tax. That would have spread like wildfire. Peter would have come back and he would have told everyone, you wouldn't believe this. You know that story of the, I went down and caught a fish and there the temple tax amazing it would have spread like a wildfire because Jesus was once again proving that he is the Messiah so as I think about this story there's one lesson that I can get out of this Jesus is proving yet again that he is the son of God and that he came to save my sin he is the Messiah the saviour but I live on the other side of this story. I live 2,000 years later and I know that he's the Messiah because he rose from the dead and because he's changed my life and because I'm now a Christian and I am part of his family because of who he is. I don't doubt his Messiahship as they did 2,000 years ago. So is there anything that I can get out of this story? Well, one thing that I really get out of this story that affects me in 21st century Queensland is this whole line where Jesus said, so as not to hurt anyone, confuse anyone, so as not to cause trouble for people, let's just pay the temple tax anyway. Now, this is Jesus who didn't have to pay the temple tax, who could have said, I'm the Messiah, I don't have to pay that but so as not to cause trouble for people, he said, I'll do it anyway, just so I don't cause trouble. I won't enforce my rights. I won't say, I don't have to. Instead, he said, let's just pay it and not cause trouble for people. The Apostle Paul picks up this theme in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 9 and 10 is interesting because in Corinth, in the city where the church was, there was a meat market and it was dedicated to a Roman god. And the meat slaughtered there was dedicated in a particular way uh, to honour the Roman god. 
And Christians in Corinth had this problem. Do we go to the meat market that's dedicated to a foreign god and buy meat that's been specifically butchered in a particular way for this foreign god? Do we do that? Because if we do, we're actually giving honour to a foreign god and we can't do that. So some people in the Corinthian church were saying we should not buy meat from that meat market because it's been uh, done in order to honour a foreign god and we can't do that and so we should not buy meat from that meat market. And Paul writes about this and he says in his letter, listen, this is the go. Uh, Don't go into the pagan temple and eat the meat that's been sacrificed in that meat market. Stay away from the pagan temple. But it's all right for Christians to go to the meat market where the meat's been butchered in honour of a Roman. It's all right to buy meat there and take it home and eat it. And it's fine. Don't worry about it. God doesn't care. He doesn't mind at all because he knows he's the only true God. But he said, there might be some people in the church for whom this is a real problem and who don't like this and think it's wrong to do this. For their sake, don't do it in front of them, basically. If you're going, if you're inviting them over to dinner, don't eat meat that's been bought at this meat market and cause them a problem. Instead, choose to forego your freedom just so that other people feel comfortable and good. Choose to show kindness rather than choosing to be right. And that's what the Apostle Paul, which is basically what Jesus said when he said, let's not cause trouble for anyone, let's just pay the tax anyway. Sometimes it's better to be kind than to be right. So now, what about us in 21st century Australia? Um, obviously, we can go to the butcher, it doesn't matter. Uh, the butcher up the road is a St George supporter, I'll buy meat off him anyway. It's a struggle, but I'll do it. How about the issue of alcohol? Now, alcohol, in the Bible, it doesn't say not to drink. It says specifically, don't get drunk. In my ministerial code of conduct for an ACC minister... It actually says you are permitted to drink alcohol, you are not permitted to get drunk. So as a minister, I'm allowed to drink alcohol according to my um, ACC rules and regulations. I have the freedom to drink alcohol as long as I don't get drunk. But what happens if I go to a barbecue and there's someone from this church here who doesn't agree with drinking alcohol? who maybe had a big problem with alcohol in the past and who thinks it's wrong for a Christian to drink alcohol. Strictly speaking, I could say, well, my ministerial code of conduct says, and the Bible doesn't actually say you can't, and so I'm going to exercise my freedom to do what I want and I don't care about you. Do you know, in that situation, it's actually wrong for me to drink alcohol because I'm causing trouble for someone else. So here's an interesting thing. In one situation, it might be okay for me to drink alcohol when I'm home alone with my wife drinking a wine at a meal. But in another situation, it's sinful for me to drink alcohol because I'm actually causing offence and causing a problem to a fellow believer. And what the Apostle Paul and what Jesus said is, rather than exercise your freedom, exercise kindness because that's a greater call. And don't do things which can upset other Christians even though you're right. Choose to be kind rather than choose to be right.
Now, that's an interesting thing. You don't have to worry about me. I'm allergic to alcohol. I can't drink it anyway. It doesn't matter. So even if I wanted to, I can't. But I choose unity over personal freedom. I choose to submit to others rather than enforcing my own desires. I choose to put others before myself. And so now this whole thing about Jesus saying, let's just pay it anyway and not cause trouble, it has big ramifications for me in 21st century Australia, in my church. And I would rather not do something because someone might get offended by it then say, I'm going to do it anyway and blow them then cause, and then cause division in the church of Christ. Which makes it interesting because sometimes something is sinful and sometimes something isn't. It all depends on unity and showing love and kindness. Kindness is the greater call rather than my personal freedom. And so now I choose unity. Now I choose to honour my fellow Christians rather than bringing them down. Another implication for me as a Christian, specifically reading the Bible, this is God's word to us. You'd think it would be easy to understand. It's not. There's actually lots of things in the Bible that are difficult to understand and difficult to live out. I'll give us an example, uh, something like this. I can prove from the Bible, from the New Testament, that women should not preach in church. There's a great verse in 1 Corinthians that says, women should remain silent in the church. They're not allowed to speak and they must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. And so I can look at that and think, there is no way a woman should preach in church. Don't you preach, you be quiet and ask me later. The Bible says that. But I can also prove from the Bible that it's fine for women to preach in church. And I look at passages in Romans and I look at passages in Galatians and I can actually come up with a really, really good argument that it's fine for women to preach in church and they can have authority and it's uh, God's uh, desire for women to, to exercise their gift. And so I can actually argue the same thing from two sides. So when it comes to something like that, when we're reading our Bible, one of the most important things to acknowledge is that, hey, there might be a difference of opinion and I'm not always right. I'm not always correct. And so some things like women preaching in church, I have a belief, biblical belief, based on the Bible that women can preach in church. And so we have it here in our church that we see women preaching. But another church with another way of reading the Bible might say, we don't allow women to preach in church. I am never going to say they are wrong, they are this, they are that. I will just agree to disagree and not cause them trouble and not cause disunity in the body of Christ, but simply with humility say that's fine and we'll do it our way, which is, can be argued biblically as well. I will agree to disagree. Because I realise that there are things in the Bible that aren't worth arguing about with fellow Christians. There are things that are just not worth causing division, but instead let's agree on the things we must agree on and serve Christ. Now that takes a degree of humility and a degree of submission but that's what Christianity is all about. 
It's better to be kind than right. And Jesus shows us, shows us true humility in this passage when he says, even though I don't have to pay the temple tax and I could really enforce my right, let's just pay it anyway so that we don't cause any trouble. It's better to be kind than right. Next week, as we start to read about the Bible, start to learn about the Bible and how to read it, you're going to discover that there are lots of things out about the Bible that I can't answer that cause more questions than answers. Let's just agree to disagree on some things and instead aim for unity and submission and humility, which is far more important to God than us being right. Let's choose to be kind rather than right. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. Can you put that fish up again with a coin in its mouth? I want you to get that image in your head. Next time you're thinking, I'm right about this, or this is my freedom, how dare they? Think of that fish, think of that image. You'll never forget that if you stare at it for long enough. Let that image come into your head. It's better to be kind than right. I can let this go. That's fine. I'll let it go because it's much better to be kind than to be right. Why don't we pray? Lord, I want to thank you for your word, which is so amazing. As it reinforces once again today that you are the Messiah, you are the Saviour, you are unique and you saved us and you've brought us to this place and your grace is on us and I want to thank you that your word is a living word and every time I read it it gives me another thing to think about and another place to grow and God when I think about this whole thing about about being right and enforcing my freedom I pray that I would think about the greater call that I have to show love to submit to one another out of out of uh, love for Jesus to show humility and, and to, to strive for unity. And I pray particularly over the next few weeks as we look at the Bible and how to read it better, that we will approach it with a degree of humility, knowing that we don't know everything, but that together we can work stuff out. And I pray that if we disagree with our fellow Christians about things that don't really matter, that we'd learn to agree to disagree but continue to honour God together with love and humility. Change us. Make me less proud, I pray. Make me less desirous of being right and instead fill me with grace and help me to submit to others. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Country Hope Church podcast and that this episode blessed you. If you've got any questions or prayer requests, please don't hesitate to contact us through our email, connect at countryhope.church. If you'd like to subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode, that would be fantastic. Otherwise, we hope to see you either online or in person at some point soon.